from an empty tomb to an ascended Jesus all in one week. The jump from Mark to Acts is abrupt, isn't it? One week we're seeing the women flee in terror from the empty tomb. The next we're seeing the disciples gawk up into the sky as Jesus ascends. It's quite a bit of a gap there. And perhaps some of the reason, part of the reason is, is that Acts is a sequel to Luke, not a sequel to Mark. Luke, the author, the author of Acts, even acknowledges the gap in his own work. There was apparently a lengthy period when the disciples saw the risen Christ. Remember that the term 40 days is Bible speak for a long time. So there was a period of time where there were resurrection appearances. And over that time, the first Christ followers saw Jesus, ate with Jesus, and learned from Jesus. That time of resurrection appearances came to an end, though. As Jesus was about to ascend, the disciples asked something that's troubled them since he first called them. When is God's kingdom going to be restored in its fullness? Isn't this the end of the story? It seems like a a nice time for a happily ever after. The resurrected Christ ushers in God's kingdom in its fullness, beginning the messianic age for all to see. Seems like a good point for that to happen. But it's not the time for that yet, at least not in the way the disciples are hoping. Jesus has work for his apostles to do. It's time for the story to begin again. Of course, the disciples did not know much of the story's script. They had Jesus' instructions, stay and wait. Professor Craig Kester from Luther Seminary calls this Jesus' shelter-in-place order. Stay and wait for the promise of the Father. Stay and wait for the descent of the Holy Spirit. It's really, really hard to stay and wait. But that's the first task that Jesus gives to the church. Stay and wait. Times for travel and evangelizing will come. Further challenges will arise, like the opposition of state and religious authorities, or what to do about an enemy of the church named Saul, or determining what laws Gentile Christians need to observe, and on and on. Times for facing those challenges and others will come. But until the Spirit descends, the first challenge that the church has to face is the challenge of waiting. It's a tough command. No human being likes to wait. Least of all, us Americans in our gimme-it-now society. And it shows all you need to do is turn on your Facebook feed or read the news to see how bad we are at waiting. To be fair, we are in a unique situation. We're experiencing a collective traumatic event. While things will return to some level of normalcy eventually, the effects have permanently changed our world. They will never be the way they used to be completely. With so much free-floating anxiety about what's going to happen, is it any wonder it's so difficult to wait? Yet remember that the first apostles must have experienced that sort of anxiety too. Their world 
also had radically changed. Unlike North American Christianity, a majority religion in which millions never participate and yet still claim the name Christian, the first church was a weird little Jewish sect centered around one man, a minor pest at best to the authorities now that the founder had been killed. Luke even tells us the number, 120 people. That's not very big. That's about about shalom-sized. That was the first church. It certainly would have been easier to give up and to go back to what they had been doing. The Forget about this whole promise of the Father stuff. Go back to what they did before, which is what happened in John's Gospel. John 21, Peter says, let's go fishing. And the other disciples say, we're going with you. And they see the risen Jesus from the shore. But in Acts, Luke, Luke is telling us a different story in Acts. Here, they return to the city. And they return to the upper room where they shared that final supper with Jesus. And they pray. They pray. They wait for the promised Spirit by staying in place and maintaining their connection to and relationship with God through prayer. Maybe not a bad thing for the church to do today. I've felt the impatience and boredom too, like many of you have. I've felt the anxiety and fear about the direction of our nation and what our community is going to look like in six months. But what if, led by God's Spirit, we laid our anxieties, our fears, our concerns, our impatience at Jesus' feet? He is the one, after all, who has reconciled us to his Father. He is the one who is our mediator and advocate. Jesus shouldered every human burden, every human fear, every human anxiety, every human sin when he shouldered that cross one Friday morning. So Jesus certainly knows our sorrows and fears in this time. More than that, Jesus knows us personally better than we know ourselves. The letter to the Hebrews reminds us of this. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us with our weaknesses, but we have one who in every respect has been tested as we are, yet without sin. The Spirit prompts us to turn to Jesus in times like these continually prompting us in our, to, to turn to Jesus so that we can be made more fully into Christ's character and image. Salvation is certainly by grace alone, but the faith that is formed by God's grace continues to build and shape the Christian, especially in times of testing like this one. And besides... God is busy in times like these. God doesn't just make us wait because. There's always a purpose behind it. Our council president was kind enough to share with me an article yesterday that showed that 49% of congregations in the United States are growing since the shelter-in-place orders went into effect, as opposed to the 13% that were before. The growth is not in raw numbers, but in outreach. 
because we can't really measure by numbers now. We can measure by households viewing on Facebook, but it isn't the same kind of, it isn't the same kind of metric that churchwide wants to see. It's different now. The church is growing into the digital sphere. The gospel is spreading into individual homes. In a way, in a really odd way, this is a blast to the past, really, in that the first churches were house churches, where close friends and family gathered. In the Reformation, Luther emphasized the need for households, for the head of the household to teach the faith. That's what the small catechism was for. It was for use in the home. It wasn't for use in church in a big confirmation class. It was for each for, for parents to teach their children. That was what it was intended for. Every home is a house church. Your larger congregation, Shalom, is simply a facilitator and enabler of the ministries of your house churches. God is certainly at work. And God was busy in that time in the upper room too, preparing the first house church for the amazing, powerful, and unpredictable gift of the Holy Spirit. The story was about to begin again for them. The story is going to begin again for us. I can't wait to see where it goes from here. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, help us to cast our burdens upon you because you care for us. Give us patience and calm in a time of impulsiveness and anxiety. Fill us with hope and with anticipation as to where your story will go next. Amen.